You're listening to The Influencer Podcast, episode number 84. Now, when I started this podcast, I wanted it to be about more than just the latest influencer and social media trends. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know that I am a huge proponent of building a sustainable and profitable business around your own products and services and platforms. I mean, heck, it is really one of the main reasons why I decided to open the Influencer Academy and start that this year, because you really never know when an algorithm or an affiliate policy is going to change. So when I bring a fashion or lifestyle blog on the show, you know that they are doing more than just posting affiliate links to shop their looks, right? A few weeks ago on episode 79 of the Influencer Podcast, I talked to influencers Anna and Julie Reinberg who launched their own sunglasses line, Jim and Ellie. So make sure to head over to juliesolomon.net forward slash 79 if you want to check that out. Today, I am chatting with the amazing Julia Engel of Gal Meets Glam. She's been named on the Forbes top 30 influencer list and fashionista's 20 most influential style bloggers, has a following of 1.2 million, and has her own dress collection featured in Nordstrom. So you know she's doing something right. But what really makes Julia stand out is her dedication to really staying true to herself and really being able to think outside the box and innovate. On the show, Julia and her then-boyfriend, now-husband Thomas, are sharing the steps that they took to build a wildly successful, profitable brand and business. They talk about honing in on your passions, listening to your audience, making and embracing mistakes, and so much more. Not to mention, the story of how they got started together is pretty cool. So whether you dream of starting your own blog one day, or you have one right now, and you're just looking for ways to really turn it into more of a business, this episode is for you. Let's dive in. Before we dive in, I want to give my warm appreciation to our reviewer this week, and that is G. Bex. And they say, my friend sent me a link to this podcast and I have been hooked ever since. I am new to the influencer world and from this podcast, I have learned a lot and I am now actually using it to build my brand. Julie, you are awesome and I am planning on taking your masterclass. Thank you so much. I have also subscribed to your newsletter. Her free resources are so helpful. Thank you so much for creating this podcast for folks like me and sharing your experience. Well, thank you, GBEX, for your insight and for sharing what you've been finding so helpful and valuable. Not only have you found value in this podcast, but you have in our newsletter as well, which is amazing. And if you are listening and you haven't signed up for our newsletter yet, what are you waiting for? Head on over to juliesolomon.net and you can put your email right in there to get behind the scenes action and some tips and tricks that I only share with the newsletter community. So of course, I want to hear from more of you who listen in each week. So make sure to head over to iTunes, hit that subscribe button, and hit that rate and review button so I can find your review and highlight it in an upcoming episode. Also, if you are feeling a little frisky today, make sure to screenshot this episode on your phone, tag me on your Instagram story, I'm at at Joel Solomon, and our guest today at Julia Hingle, and hashtag the influencer podcast to let us know that you're tuning in today and what you loved most about today's episodes, as you know that we love to dive into those screenshots, see what you're saying, and share them on our stories too. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. Each week, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist and New York Times bestselling publicist, takes you behind the scenes with successful influencers, bloggers, and industry elites in conversation to share how they engage, persuade, and grow their unique influence. 
Her mission is to share exclusive insider tips, wisdom, and action-based tools to help you strengthen, monetize, and build your own industry-leading influence. Hi, Julia. It's so good to talk to you today. Hi, Julie. I'm thrilled to be here um, and, and talk to you as well. Yes. And then your husband is joining us as well, right? Yep. Thomas here. Yes. Hi, Thomas. So I'm so excited to dive in and I'm excited that both of you are on, on the call because I know that Thomas, you work, you know, you guys are essentially partners in the gal meets glam, um, company. And so, um, if we could just kind of dive in, Julia, I would love to hear how the idea of gal meets glam came about. I mean, obviously so many of our listeners right now know exactly who you are. They've been following you for years and years, but, um, maybe kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and give us, you know, kind of an inside peek into how gal meets glam got started. And really, um, what I'm excited to dive into today is how you were able to cultivate and really take, take an idea, turn it into a blog, take this blog, turn it into curated content, and then take that content and actually create a business out of it with products and services that you essentially sell to market now? Absolutely. Um, So there's a lot of layers to the story, but (laughs) I'll start from the very beginning um, when I was a junior in college at University of the Pacific, which is a small private school in Stockton, California. I was a business business major, focused in marketing. And I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do with my degree. I knew I was interested in business. I wasn't necessarily crazy passionate about any particular part, but I thought, you know, marketing sounds interesting. I think I'll choose that. And it was sort of, I think around April, 2011. And I had been following a few different sort of fashion websites that aren't around anymore, but were really popular back in the day. Um, one was called lookbook.new and it was basically a site. It was basically like a website that was Instagram. It, people would upload photos of their outfits. Um, and wasn't necessarily a day to day, but it was more of a, um, just as like a style website, but it was all street style. It was just regular people in their hometowns and there was people all over the world. And I just found it so fascinating. I'm just discovering all of these real people and their style. And it was around that time that I created my blog because I, I really wanted a platform online that I could just experiment and play and sort of find what I was interested in and what I was passionate about because I was just terrified I was going to graduate from college and not necessarily know what I wanted to focus on. And I never, ever, ever would have guessed that, you know, eventually that, that little hobby in college would turn into my full-time career and we would have a clothing line and all of the opportunities that have come our way. But it truly started out as a passion project on the side. And I had no idea what I wanted to do, do with it. Um, again, at the time, the industry was in a much different place. Brands were just starting to sort of recognize bloggers at the time and uh, put together, uh, partnerships, but they were very small. Nothing was ever paid. Um, you know, it was such a, it's such an honor to have any brand just recognize that your blog existed. Um, and I remember my first 
collaboration of, of sorts was with Kate Spade my senior year. So about a little over a year after I had started Gal Meets Glam and just the fact that they, their marketing team or whoever on their team knew who I was and, and, uh, you know, knew about my blog, that was such an honor. And I was just over, over the moon to do anything that they wanted. Um, cause, because obviously, you know, I've been a huge fan of Kate Spade my entire life and, and that was very exciting. So just remembering, you know, all of those moments from the very beginning, um, because it's come such a long way since then. Um, I constantly try and remind myself why I started, um, you know, why I'm doing this. I'm, I'm passionate about it and I love it. And, and that really keeps the perspective, um, clear for me and, and, and not get fuzzy with, with everything that's constantly going on. And then I would love to know, Thomas, um, have you, were you there kind of during the inception? Have you walked alongside Julia through this whole process or did you kind of jump into this at a certain point? No, I I mean, I've been here the entire time. I remember he was my boyfriend at the time Mm. and I basically gave him my point and shoot camera that, you know, you would keep in, in your bag, um, in college and take to parties and take pictures with, you know, a hundred dollar camera. And I basically gave it to him and said, can you take pictures of my outfits? <laughs> and he didn't know anything about photography or, or blogging. And, you know, it was just a new world to us really. Yeah. And I was, I mean, uh, Julie and I went to school together. Um, I was also a business major too. And, you know, I didn't know anything about photography. I actually didn't like it the first two years which is crazy to think now because it's one of my passions and I always talk about photography. I almost like don't show it up about it. <laughs> um, but the first two years were, I was not very good and it was hard. It's hard to get good at something. And, um, you know, I, anytime I pick up something, I always try and improve at it. Um, but what really got me started was obviously I wanted to help Julia build something and help her out. But, um, being the business person that I am, I was very, you know, it was a completely new thing. I was really obsessed with the analytical part of it. Um, I love that we were able to connect with so many, so many readers and and now customers. Um, And it has become even, you know, my passion as well. And through the navigation, because I want to kind of unpack some of this, um, because, you know, a lot of our listeners who whenever we have someone on who has really been able to take this online thing and really turn it into a sustainable, profitable business, you know, of course they want to know the secrets and the step-by-steps and the nitty gritties. But as you both know, there is really no secret and it's just, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of endurance. It's a lot of mind and grinding. It's a lot of testing. So I would love if you guys could take us back to kind of that time, if you remember of testing. And I know that this industry was much different in 2011, 12 and 13 than it is now, but how were you able to really navigate that time of your blog of, of really, um, niching down, because I love what you mentioned Thomas with, with passions. And I I hear that a lot from our listeners that a lot of them have a lot of passions and they kind of want to create content around all the things, if you will. But as you both, I'm sure know that if you kind of try to do everything, you kind of end up doing nothing. So I would love if you could walk us through how that navigation of niching down was for you and how you were able to really figure out what your purpose was 
and and to really make the the passions that you had align with that? Yeah, so I think one of the most important things we ever did was realize why our readers were coming to us and really focusing on that and and what sort of made us special because there's so there and even back then there were you know many many blogs and websites and 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 lots of interesting people doing interesting things um and and the coolest part about a blog or you know an influencer and instagram are now is that you are your own uniqueness. You know, nobody can be you, even if they try and replicate your style or try and edit their photos similar. They aren't you. They don't have your personality. So we we quickly realized, like, that's what makes us different. It is me and, and my point of view. So I really honed in on that and never... And never wavered. I never tried to do what was cool at the moment or what was trending at the moment. Um, I always stuck to what I liked, um, what made sense for me. And I sort of put blinders on and, and just focused, honestly. And um, we made a list of everything that we were passionate about and that we thought in return our readers would be passionate about. And then also made a list of the things that we're not passionate about and, you know, we, we don't find ourselves experts in and that we don't think we should cover. So, you know, we didn't want to be a full lifestyle brand with cooking and home decor and travel and fashion and beauty. And, you know, we said, okay, these are the things that we're good at. These are the things that we know how to talk about. These are the things that we're passionate about. Um, so let's focus on these instead of trying trying to dabble in everything, even though, you know, I'm sure our, our reader would be interested in, in some of the others, we just aren't as skilled and knowledgeable and we can't be seen as experts in those fields. Mm -hmm. So, um, let's hone in on the things that we believe that we can be experts in. I love that. And I love that you mentioned, um, really kind of navigating through what all of those passions were and then figuring out which ones you thought would be the most viable. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale, This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business for sponsoring the show. My friends, as creators, we work so hard creating our content. So we don't want to leave it up to things like an algorithm to determine how successful our online brands and businesses can be. And that is why I love Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs like myself build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. And I know they can help you too. No matter your niche, 
Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, your passions, your experiences into enriching offers like online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, communities, personalized coaching, and so much more. What I love about Kajabi is that not only does it make it super easy to use, but they don't take a cut of your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. You don't need a huge audience to make a sustainable income online. I talk about that all the time here on the podcast. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures without having hundreds of thousands of followers, and you can too. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business. Go to kajabi.com slash influencer. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash influencer. Go to kajabi.com slash influencer and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. When you were talking about figuring out who your audience was and, and really how you could show up to serve that person, how did you do that? Were there surveys that you did? Were there questions that you asked your audience? How did you kind of navigate that to figure out, okay, this is this is who our primary audience is, and this is what she needs, and this is how she struggles, and this is how we can show up to serve her? I think, you know, it really comes from, at the very core of it, being a, a conversation. You know, Julia still answers people on on direct messages she still reads every single comment that comes through on the blog so i think that's probably like just listening to people and seeing what kind of reactions people have even though it's probably like it doesn't scale at all like it, it consumes a lot of julia's time she still focuses on how can i listen to our readers like what are they saying um and how can i continue the conversation so it starts from there and then, you know, we're also seeing on the analytics side, like, what are people actually responding to? Um, you know, and that's where I kind of come in is, you know, every single month, we're still planning out our content and we're, we're very strategic about our content. And, you know, we'll look at previous months or look at previous years and see what's done well in the past and then figure out how we can find a new way of, of tweaking a topic or introducing a new topic and see how that does. Yeah, and, we're, and we have tried new things to try and introduce it and have done a mini-series or brought on somebody to contribute and just to test and see how things go because you have to try new things in order to figure out, you know, what's working and what's not. And it's allowed us to um, tweak and change what we've been doing over time. Because the, I would say the most consistent thing that I see that people don't do is try new things, try new content. They're like, this is what worked last year. So I'm going to do that again this year. Mm -hmm. And they're not trying to sort of, um, uh, tweak it and change it and make it different every time. Um, and it, it, I mean, it, it's hard, it, you know, content is only as, as good as your, the last piece you posted, you know, mm -hmm. people have such a uh, short attention spans and yeah. it can feel like you're putting all of this work into a post that really only lives for 24 hours, even though, you know, a, a piece of content can live much longer. Um, you know, there is so, there's so many pieces being posted constantly every single day. I think Thomas calculated once and what was it we post, um, how many pieces of content a week? 
I think it was like 35 to 40 individual pieces of content, you know, with emails and blog posts right. and Instagrams and, and everything. And that doesn't even include Instagram stories. So it can feel like, okay, what worked last time? Let's do that again. But you do need to keep sort of, um, keeping it fresh and, and updated, which can be hard. Mm-hmm. It can be. And that, that's part of the, I think that like resi- resilience piece. And, and I love that you mentioned the testing because I think that that is extremely important as well. Um, I would love to talk about monetization for, uh, for a little bit, because I know that, that your journey, um, of, of monetizing your business has definitely evolved. Um, you know, I, um, you, you probably, and, and I would love for you to kind of share when you started out, cause obviously you have your own clothing line now, so it's a little bit different. Um, but I love that journey because I'm always a huge proponent of telling my listeners that if the only thing that you're doing is relying on affiliate links or relying on brand deals to make a living, you're going to hit a wall at some point. I'm a huge proponent in teaching listeners, um, aspiring bloggers and influencers, how to actually create their own products and services. Therefore, their income is not contingent on someone else you know, giving them money essentially. So I would love if you could kind of walk us through your journey of that. Um, and when you first kind of started and you, you first were able to monetize your blog, was that through affiliate links? Was that through you pitching brands? Was that through brands coming to you? Was it a culmination of those things? And then how did that evolve to now to you creating your own product line? In the beginning, it was a mixture of banner ads because at the time, banner ads were huge. Really funny to think about that now. Mm -hmm. And I would say probably within a year after I started, Reward Style came out and they became, you know, the influencer affiliate program because it was so easy to use and they just made it really user-friendly, easy to understand. And they had you know, all of the, all of the retailers that, um, most of the influencers were linking to at the time on there. So that was really how I started monetizing was through banner ads and affiliate marketing and a few sponsored posts here and there. They were much smaller scale at the time. The budgets were much smaller, you know, at the time, most companies didn't have influencer, um, focused marketing, Mm -hmm. uh, people on their team. So it, at, you know, a lot of the time, the marketing teams were trying to scrape together money to convince their, you know, their, um, bosses and companies to work with influencers. So it was interesting trying to convince people at the time to work with us. I never really reached out to brands because again, I didn't start this out to make money and I didn't start it out to make, to build a business. And so by the time I realized, oh, wow, I, I could turn this into a business. I sort of had those opportunities coming my way. Mm. And that's what convinced me to leave my job at the time was because I had a lot, a lot of opportunities that were just coming to me. And I was making more on my blog than I was at my full-time job but it was never my plan to leave my job. And I never set myself up necessarily so that I could. Um, so I did, I was very lucky in that sense that of the timing of when I started and, and the fact that I was smart about the content that I was creating, I was specific to the brand that I, 
I sort of had built without even knowing, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So it was just sort of a mix of things. And then I would say the, it's evolved a lot. Obviously, you know, banner ads don't really exist anymore. Not for us, at least. Um, Affiliate marketing, while it is still a important part of our business. Especially on the data side. Yeah, especially on the data side. To us, it's more important to see what's selling, how many clicks things are getting, what retailers are the most important or drive the most sales or are resonating the most with our readers um, over the sales that are coming from that. Well, it is a good amount of money. Um, I would say the long-term partnerships that we have with brands are are the most fulfilling and rewarding and um, both personally creating content and the connection with our readers and also um, monetarily too. Mm, and that's such a, a great point um, that you that you both just made that um, I don't think a lot of listeners really think about that they they do affiliate links just to monetize and make money and they're not really looking at the analytics deep enough. Um, so for any of those listening, if you've ever had the idea or the dream to create your own product or service, but you may not know what that could potentially be, a great place to start to figure that out would be your analytics. See what your audience is already buying from you that you could potentially curate on your own. I think that that's a great takeaway. And I would love to also know from you, looking back on it now, um, because as we've mentioned a few times now, the space is completely different. And I know that that's probably very frustrating for a lot of people here that are trying to get into the space now. If you were getting into the space now, what would you do to stick out among the saturation and to really differentiate yourself from the, the from the marketplace? I mean, we always say the biggest piece of advice that we can share is to think about and to start from the point of what do I have to offer a, a you know a community or a readership if people you know, were to come to me, what do I have to offer to them? Because I think a lot of people now sort of see the success of people who started a long time ago and they say, I want to make that kind of money, or I want to have free things, or I want, I want to travel or, you know, whatever they see from Instagram or, um, or blogs these days. And so instead of focusing on what they can offer or create, they're focusing on what they get out of it. And I'm not saying everybody does that, but um, you know it's important to think about that and think why you're start- why you're starting, because there should be that genuine feeling of wanting to connect and offer something to others in order to build a long-lasting partnership. And I think there's a lot of reasons why people start now, and and that's totally fine. You know, somebody can start because maybe they. They want it to be a side thing and they love fashion and they really just want to monetize their outfits because, you know, why not? They're already posting them to Instagram and people are asking them and it makes sense. And and if that's, you know, something that they want to create and do on the side, I think that's amazing and really smart. But if you want to build a brand that is bigger than yourself and and can be long lasting and be much more than um, an affiliate or a sponsorship you do have to think about why are people going to come to you and what will keep them coming back? Um, because 
that that's going to create something that is much more tangible and long lasting than, um, than an affiliate sale. And also approach it with a long-term kind of vision. Um, because a lot of the times we often do things like, you know, we talked about analytics and if we just followed the analytics on like, let's say on Instagram, we would just post pictures of Julia and me because those perform the best, of course. But like sometimes we post a lot of scenery images, things that add to the overall brand and the overall aesthetic of what we're trying to create. And those aren't going to drive, you know, we're not going to sell anything in a scenery image. But when someone lands on your profile, it tells more of a story about who you are and, and what you stand for. And I think, you know, if you can, and it doesn't focus- have to be a scenery image. It can right. be just anything that's not necessarily selling or driving, or there's not, there doesn't have to be, you know, something that you're getting out of it by posting it. Right. Um, you know, some sort of like deeper connection or meeting or, you know, whether you want to inspire somebody or make them feel better that day, just anything really, um, that feels right for you to post that feels natural for you to post. Mm. Thank you for that. I know you've got me like thinking because it is so true to really want to show that 360 view of your brand and of your life. And it may not, even if it's a flat lay or food or scenery, as you mentioned, it may not from a, from a data standpoint, have the most impressions or engagement, but it's still telling the story. And that's what I really took away from that, from what you just said. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's easy to get caught up and frustrated by Instagram. And I know a lot of people feel that way. And, and sometimes we feel that way too, but at the end of the day, if you're sharing and posting the things that you love and you think represent your brand, I think that's way more important than just posting things that you've seen other people post and it did well for them. So maybe you should post it too. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, obviously you want to be able to gain people's attention and drive them to whatever sort of channel you're trying to drive them to. But at the end of the day, again, if you want to create a long lasting brand, like stick to those brand values and what you stand for and don't sort of give in to what's, you know, popular or selling at the moment. And then I would also love to know kind of with, with that said, um, looking back on your journey, what have been some of the biggest mistakes that you have made and what did you learn from those? Hmm. I mean, obviously we've made lots of mistakes. Um, everybody does. And I think, you know, oftentimes you look at the mistake you made and, and you're almost thankful for it because you, you learn from it. I'm trying to think what are some of what, it's so hard to think off the top of your head. I know Some sometimes big, it is. I mean, yeah, if there's, was there ever like a partnership that you did that you were like, you know what? I don't know if I should have done that or. Actually, I remember way back in the day and I don't, I mean, I don't even remember what year this was, but it was definitely in the beginning when we were first working with brands. And I think we took, I'm not going to say who the brand was, but we took a partnership with a cleaning supply brand because we had, we had thought at the time, you know, we actually use this product. And so maybe it's natural 
natural for us to talk about it on the blog. And when we were creating that, that content, the blog post and shooting it, it just felt so unnatural. It felt totally off. And when we posted it, we both remember having this feeling of like, this just doesn't feel right. It, it feels like we're selling out. And after that, we swore to each other, if we're, if it's not a hell yes, immediately when, when a brand reaches out, then it's a no, mm. you know, just because you use something in your day to day doesn't mean that you need to create a blog post around it or content around it or need to take that partnership. Because really, you know, most of the things that come our way, we're like, absolutely, we, we would use this, but does it make sense to talk about it within the Gal Meets Glam brand? Most of the time it's a no. And so we turn all of those down. And I just remember vivid. Do you remember that Thomas? Mm-hmm. And, and we just, it was, it was such a horrible feeling of like, wow, this isn't a representation of, of what we want to be creating. Mm. So we never want to have that feeling again. Yeah. And it is, I I love that you said, you know, from the mistakes because you learn, otherwise you wouldn't know. And so you knew what that feeling felt like. And you were like, I I don't ever want to have this feeling ever again. So I'm going to make sure that we, that we learn from that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, I had asked you, oh yes, yes, Thomas. So, um, we get a lot of emails from people that either want to start blogs or have just started blogs. They need a little help starting. And I'm sure you get a lot of this feedback too, but I know a lot of the times that people are too scared of making mistakes, especially in the beginning. And, you know, uh, one of my favorite podcasts is called Masters of Scale. And they always talk about if you're not embarrassed by your first product, then you launch too late. And like, there's times we go back and look at what our site was like when we first launched and Mm -hmm. it's kind of embarrassing but (laughs) we weren't we weren't scared to put ourselves out there or julia is mostly putting herself out there but (laughs) i didn't even know what to be scared of at the Mm -hmm. the time to be honest because i didn't know i mean our readership was so small and we didn't necessarily know what we were getting ourselves into but don't be afraid to fail or afraid to post something and then say, okay, well, I don't want to do that again because you learned, okay, that's not right for me. And maybe you posted it and you're like, this is absolutely right for me. And you discover something new about yourself or what you should be doing. So it's, it's totally okay to make those mistakes. And, and as much as I get embarrassed by them, I know that I shouldn't be because we are in a place today because we made those mistakes. And there are many more along the way. I can't necessarily think of all of them right now, but everything has felt like it was a a giant trial and error kind of. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great takeaway. Thank you for that. I had asked you about trends before coming on and, and kind of what trends do you both see that you think is going to change the shape of this space? And you said direct shopping on Instagram. It's um, gearing up to become more and more of a, of a reality. And it has the potential to really cause a major disruption for in- influencers, especially the ones that try to monetize through affiliate sources. So can you share a little bit more about um, about why that trend should should be something that people should really start not only paying attention to, but going ahead and and being proactive to get in front of that so they don't catch themselves kind of in the situation that we were talking about earlier of putting all of their eggs in one affiliate basket, so to say, and then they're going to kind of be going to be stuck. Yeah. I mean, I, 
you know, we've made a conscious decision, you know, kind of backtracking a little bit, like we've always put our own e-commerce and our own blog as like the number one destination that we want people to be on. Instagram for us is obviously a huge channel and we, you know, post a lot of content on there, connect with a lot of people there. It's really important for us, but it's not our number one. And I think Instagram has come to power and they have just become this huge, um, you know, force to be reckoned with. And obviously people have talked about algorithm changes and just changes after changes after change that in that Instagram makes. And it causes a lot of disruption every time. And that's because we feel that a lot of people have put too much investment into that platform. So I think that, um, uh, you know, we already see it now with our Galmi Glam um, Instagram account, we have the ability to link to products and drive sales, but they really haven't tapped into yet what I think that they're going to be getting in, getting to, um, which is actually being able to transact on the app mm-hmm. and connect the discovery of an item and go straight to purchasing it without ever leaving Instagram. Yep. Um, and, you know, once you have your credit card in there, your your shipping information in there, I think that's going to change a lot of things. And I, and I think you'll even start to see a lot more shifts in the way that um, brands work with influencers. Um, you know, I've even heard rumors that uh, Instagram and Facebook are going to be creating their own sponsored posts and working with influencers and brands. Yep. I don't know, like, how soon that will be coming, but... You know, you also see it too with the the sponsored post feature um, on Instagram. When someone posts, you can tag who the sponsor of the post is. You know, I think that Instagram will start playing around with that too, and you know, and maybe make make those brands pay to get even bigger reach um, with those posts. For sure. But I think it it all like once you're able to monetize, like I think it will cause a, a lot of changes because a lot more customers on the customer side will be used to transacting inside Instagram as well as brands will want to have more direct uh, transactions in Instagram. Mm -hmm. And what I think that leaves for influencers is kind of in this weird in-between spot where how do you get that attribution of the link of who actually drove the interest in the product, which then drove the interest and the final sale. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I just kind of start to think about the fact that at the end of the day, Instagram and I mean, Facebook is a business and they have money to make too. And, you know, when they get around to really focusing down on it and, and um, making it a priority, I mean, they know how much these third-party affiliate companies make um, because of their platform. And um, eventually it is going to happen. I think that you both are 100% correct in that. And for uh, for all of us influencers to think that it's not going to happen, I think that that's being a little naive and and kind of a little arrogant in, in, in some ways, just to think like, oh, that won't happen to us or that won't happen to this affiliate company I work with because there's too much money there. 
And, you know, Facebook, I think Facebook is only going to allow these third-party companies to make this money for so long before they're going to just say, hey, why don't we just do this ourselves? I mean, yeah. we saw Instagram do that with Instagram stories with Snapchat. They tried to buy Snapchat. Snapchat said no. And so they said, okay, fine, we'll create our own stories and do it better. <laughs> so it's, yeah. you know, it's, I think it's only a matter of time. So I appreciate you guys sharing that. And, and I hope that the listeners really kind of think about that. And and most importantly, to what Julia and Thomas said, think about making sure that your website, that your community and that your blog is number one and not someone else's uh, company being number one. Um, so I would also bet on yeah. those, I would bet on those changes coming sooner rather than later. You see that um, Instagram founders are either have just left or are very soon leaving. Um, and part of that was rumored because of how much Facebook is trying to grow Instagram into a shopping um, and business rather than like the creative side. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's only a matter of time, especially with the fact that, I mean, if we want to really dive into it, Facebook's had a lot of issues this summer, their stock has started to go, go down, ad spend has started to go up. And so they're going to need to figure out other ways to, to get their stock back up and to make their shareholders happy. So this is one way to do it. And it's, I, I have a feeling that it's going to be one of the biggest bait and switches that we have seen. <laughs> in this influencer space ever is, you know, we're going to let you use these third parties for free on our platform until we're not anymore. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting. I would love for you guys to dive in before we pop off and tell us a little bit more about what's to come, what's to come for the product line. Um, anything that you can kind of share, giving us some gleams um, that we can start to be super excited about seeing over the next six to 12 months. Yeah, so um, right now we are sort of in a growth stage. Um, you know, we launched with our own e-commerce and we launched on Nordstrom.com and in 40 Nordstrom stores. Um, but we are going to be expanding into more um, retailers starting February. So we're really excited to start sharing what those retailers are and um, we'll still be in Nordstrom and we love Nordstrom, but um, I think it's going to really expand not only the product, but the brand and the reach of the brand. Um, so we're really looking forward to that and sharing who those partners are and what sort of product you'll be able to find at those retailers and continuing to slowly reveal new um, pieces of um, product that are different than dresses. You know, we launched uh, jackets in September, which was our first item that wasn't a dress, and we'll slowly be revealing more. And, you know, going back to um, why I started Gal Meets Glam Collection and why I decided to focus on just dresses, you know, I, I really wanted to be specific with the brand because the blog and the brand that we've created there is very specific. And I wanted to launch our clothing line with that in mind because it makes sense for who I am, for who we are, and and who our customer is as well. And I love dresses. It, they're my, my number one item I always wear. And it was never even a question what the item would be. It was always dresses. But obviously... Um, you know, I, I love other items and I know our customers do as well, but I wanted it to be thoughtful and, and, um, strategic when introducing them instead of just saying, okay, 
here's dresses, and now here's everything else, you know, that we could possibly fit with under under our umbrella. So, um, you know, jackets made sense because they pair perfectly with dresses, and we have some jumpsuits coming for holiday, and you'll slowly start to see more and more um, coming out over next year. But that all still very makes sense for the Galmi's Glam brand and what our customers are interested in and, and want. You know, that's the coolest thing about having a brand in this day and age is just this, the constant immediate feedback that you get. Um, you know, Instagram is so powerful with the connection that you have with your customer. And every single day, it is our team's mission to respond and try and get to every single DM and tag that a customer sends through to us. Because those connections are important. We're listening. We are connecting because we're taking that and then we're in turn, we're, we're making business decisions based on them. Um, not every business decision is based on it, but we are taking them into account and, and trying to see, you know, what, what's the most reoccurring message that we're getting or what's the most reoccurring constructive feedback that we're getting and how can we implement that and, and change our product and our brand to make it even um, even more of a, um, relatable, uh, product for our customer. So for example, we had a ton of feedback about petite sizing. Um, a lot of our dresses are midi or maxi. And we had a lot of people saying that they were just too long on them and they were having to get them altered. And so we took that and, um, almost immediately back in April said, okay, we need to, we need to launch petite sizes. And, you know, it's not, that's not something that you can just do, yeah. you know, within a couple of weeks. Like there are <laughs> right. so many It's interesting elements. coming from a content world where you can like, you can make an edit to a blog post. If immediately. Yeah. But when you want to make an edit to a product, I mean, it takes months and months and months to do so. So, you know, from April to September, we were working tire- tirelessly to, you know, work with our factories and, and scale the, the dresses properly to be able to meet the needs for the demand of the, the petite sizing that we were getting. And, um, you know, we're constantly doing that with feedback about, you know, how dresses are fitting, how can we make the fit even better next time, or how can we make this particular style even better next time? Um, so it's it's really interesting. It's looking at data in a whole new way. And, and Julia is involved in the design of every single piece that we make, um, which I think she stands out for, for that because it's, I mean, I'm sitting there watching. I'm not involved in the design process, but I get to observe Julia um, in the design process. And she thinks about how our women are going to be wearing these their dresses what kind of fabric she would want and hopefully, um, you know, they would want to, she's always thinking about how can we make the best possible dress or best possible, um, jacket, um, that will have the most value that the people will love the most. And I think that that's so important for those listening, just again, to remember that it's, it's not just about, you know, 
creating something and putting it out there and then and then not thinking about it ever again. I mean, there's there's a cultivation, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that happens and you know, you don't want to get too caught up with, you know, a data mining. I'm such a high fact finder. If I did that, I would just spend my entire life data mining. But yeah. there is there is an importance to that of of really, you know, really looking at numbers and really listening to the feedback that you that you're getting from your audience because it's only going to help you grow even more. Yeah, and it it, it really it's really important because at the end of the day, if we didn't listen and create content that kept people coming back, we wouldn't have any of this. We wouldn't have the blog. We wouldn't have, have the clothing line. You know, we wouldn't have all of these opportunities if we were just focusing our, on ourselves and, and not for the customer. Like everything we create is for them. Um, and so always reminding ourselves of, you know, what is the reader or the customer getting out of this? How can we make it better for them? I love that. Well, Julia, can you let everyone know if they don't follow you already, where they can find you online, where they can find you on Instagram, where they can find your, your clothing line. Um, I know that you said Nordstrom.com. Um, but then I also know that you have your own commerce. Um, let us know all of the links and handles so we can dive into all those things today. Absolutely. You can find my blog at galmeetsglam.com and you can find my personal Instagram um, at Julia H. Engel, E-N-G-E-L. And the H is stands for my middle name. It's not Hangle. Um, and then the e-commerce is shop.galmeetsglam.com. And that Instagram is at galmeetsglam. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. One last question before we wrap this up. What does influence mean to you? Let's see. Um, I think influence holds such, such power to it. And I think oftentimes in this day and age, it's thrown thrown around too carelessly. Um, but influence means impact. Like the fact that you're, you're impacting somebody, their decisions, their life, the way they feel. Um, and I think that that's something that that we should really take into consideration of of how powerful that can be, and you know whether it's a good or bad influence. Just constantly thinking about that, I I could be influencing somebody by what I'm sharing. Is this valuable? Is this something that can help them, or is this you know? something that could hurt them. Um, I think that too often we, we just constantly are sharing, 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 but there, there needs to be a lot of thought that that's put behind that responsibility and responsibility. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much both for coming on and sharing with us more about your journey, how you've been able to cultivate this and, um, inspiring so many of the listeners today. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Julie. We're I'm happy to be on here. It's actually our first podcast we've ever done. Oh, that's amazing. So thanks for having us. Of course. Yeah. And we hope that we have something to offer and share with the listeners. Absolutely. I know they're going to love it. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Wanting even more influencer podcast goodness and to connect with like-minded influencers? Join our Facebook community for daily tips on how to up-level your business and chat with myself and other listeners. All you got to do is visit facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the influencer podcast to be a part of this wonderful community. 
Are you ready to create your own industry-leading influence? For show notes, downloads, and action-based tips, head to www.theinfluencerpodcast.com, where you can find out more about this week's episode, guest, and our host, Julie Solomon. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please take a minute to go to iTunes and leave a review so we can help other influencers like yourself build their own successful business.